Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org Hello. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Martin Cohen. Today we're going to learn a passage from the page 135 in Tractate Shabbat. The passage that I've chosen to teach you begins with a Baraita. A Baraita is a lesson that was preserved in the name of one of the rabbis who lived during the first two centuries of the Common Era, but which was for some reason not included in the Mishnah. In fact, Baraita means outside teaching, specifically a teaching that was preserved outside the Mishnah, either in a specific collection of Baraitot, that's the plural form, uh, like the Tosefta, or in one of the Halachic Midrashim, or even in the Talmud itself. The Baraita that I'm going to consider with you uh, is an interesting one. It has to do with the situation that pertains if a little boy should be born on Shabbat. Uh, as the Torah specifies in Parshat Tazria and elsewhere, a boy must be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. But circumcision requires, and also required in ancient times, ser- several activities that would normally be forbidden on Shabbat. The question immediately comes up, what of a boy who was born on Shabbat, the eighth day of whose life also falls on Shabbat? Should the Brit Milah be deferred until Sunday? Should the Shabbat laws be overridden for the sake of performing the ritual on the correct day? How exactly should the parents proceed? So the Baraita, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, just part of it. The Baraita says here, Or vadai dochata Shabbat. What that means is that if a child's birth is on Shabbat unambiguously, in other words, if there's no question that the child was born on Shabbat, then the Brit Milah should also be on Shabbat, and even though it will be necessary to override some of the normal restrictions that pertain during the Sabbath. Then the Brayta goes on, V'lo nolad ben Shabbat, but a child whose was born at dusk, specifically dusk between Friday and, and uh, Shabbat, that child's Brit Milah should not override Shabbat. You have to understand this is ancient times we're talking about. No internet, no cable TV, no uh, no telephones like we have. Uh, the only way to know when Shabbat began was to see the sun sinking beneath the horizon, to be able to understand that, that Shabbat was imminent. But what if it's a cloudy day? What if you're in a place where you can't see the sky clearly? What if you just don't know when exactly Shabbat begins? So it's possible that the child could be born precisely at dusk, and uh, it'd be unclear whether that child was born Erev Shabbat or Shabbat. So uh, that must happen from time to time. But in the case of a child who who may perhaps not actually have been born on Shabbat, that means that if the child were born on Friday, then Shabbat would not be the eighth, but the ninth day of life. And for that, once the Brit Milah has been deferred past the eighth day, we don't sanction the violation of any Shabbat laws to to carry out the Brit Milah. So that's one idea. The next, the Baraita then goes on and says, 
uh, Orla Tova Shabbat, repeating the principle, an unambiguous uh, situation where a child was born on on uh, Shabbat, uh, then we defer the Shabbat laws for the sake of the circumcision. Velo nohat nolad kashuhu mahul dochet Shabbat. But a child who, a boy who was born already circumcised, does not override the Shabbat. What that means is that from time to time, boy, boys are born without foreskins. And, uh, in that case, Brit Milah obviously is not formally necessary since there's no foreskin to remove. And in that case, there was a debate. Beit Shammai taught as follows, uh, Tsarich Latifi Menodam Brit. The Beit Shammai teach, that it is necessary, nonetheless, even though there's no foreskin to remove, to let a drop of blood at the site of circumcision. And Beit Hillel says it is not necessary. But it's not entirely clear what Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel are talking about. Are they talking about whether it is uh, worth deferring the law, uh, putting off the laws of Shabbat for the sake of doing even this sort of schematized circumcision, where which merely consists of letting a drop of blood at the at the site of circumcision? Or are they discussing whether it's really necessary? And Beit Shammai are saying that, that absent a, a foreskin, you must still do something to fulfill the mitzvah. And Beit Hillel saying, if there's no foreskin to remove, then there's no need for circumcision, and you don't have to do anything at all. So other rabbis ended up debating what the, the correct interpretation is. Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar, for instance, says that the um, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel were not really disagreeing about a child who was born uh, circumcised without a foreskin. They are both in complete agreement that such a child, one must let a drop of blood at the site of circumcision. They say because they, it's possible that the foreskin is present and it's simply, uh, adhering to the, to the, uh, penis in some way that makes it difficult to see or difficult to notice or perhaps it's, it's, uh, short and, uh, and or impossible to, to, uh, separate from the, the skin of the penis, it might be there. And therefore, we have to do something anyway, even though the child appears not to be circumcised. But what were they debating? Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says that the, what they were debating was the case of, a, of an adult man who converts to Judaism and who is already circumcised. Here, there's no question about whether there is some secret foreskin hiding there that could possibly need to be removed. Uh, the man was, uh, was circumcised. There's no question that he has no foreskin. In that case, Beit Shammai says that nonetheless you have to let a drop of blood at the site of circumcision. Uh, and Beit Hillel says that there's no need. And then the Gemara goes on in another direction and there are other imper- in interpretations of the, of the debate. But if you ask me what Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai are really discussing here is something very, very profound and very interesting whether the rituals of the Torah are important only because of what they symbolize, or whether they're important in their own right. Uh, you get the sense here that, that when Beit Shammai says that you have to let a drop of blood at the site of circumcision, even for a man who has already been circumcised, they're saying that the ritual itself is the thing, that the, the mitzvah has to be embodied in the lives of all, of all Jewish people, and therefore a man who wants to be a member of the House of Israel has to have some sort of circumcision of some sort, some version of the ritual that, that could possibly be carried out in this situation. Whereas Beit Hillel is saying, no. The ritual is just a means for an end. It's a possible. It's, it presents the possibility of giving voice to an idea of 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 concretizing a a belief that that rests just belief beneath the surface. The the ritual is there to give physical space to the idea that it embodies. But in the end, if the uh, if the 
ritual is superfluous. Uh, circumcising a man who has been circumcised is ridiculous. The, the man has already been circumcised. He, he already doesn't have a foreskin. If you, uh, he already appears to be a member of the house of Israel. And of course, in their world, it was uh, very uncommon for non-Jews to be circumcised. So, uh, Brit Milah really was a sign of Jewishness. Uh, their idea is it could not be easier. They're saying that since there is no need to circumcise the man, then he doesn't have to be circumcised. It's it's the idea that, that rests beneath the ritual that counts, not the ritual itself. So modern people such as ourselves, considering this issues, there there's a lot to talk about here. Uh many of the rituals that the ancients bequeathed to us from ancient times are are uh, obscure. It's not clear what they symbolize. Uh, sometimes they're so obscure that that even the greatest scholars aren't entirely sure what 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 they are meant to symbolize. An example of that would be the Lulav and Etrog, which uh, there are many, many, many different explanations of what they symbolize, but there's no there's no bottom line absolute answer to the question. No one can say for certain with certainty what the Torah really had in mind. Uh, so certainly we all agree that it's necessary to perform the ritual. We, we we don't even know exactly what it symbolizes. But what when we what about when we do know what it symbolizes? What about eating matzah and maror and Arab Pesach, which we understand perfectly well are meant to symbolize the 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 bitterness and the misery of slavery which our ancestors endured in Egypt? Uh, if we really understand that already, do do we need the ritual? I think that uh, almost everybody would agree. In fact, perhaps all certainly all observant Jewish people would agree that we do need the ritual. And in the end, the answer, my answer, is that we need both. The rituals themselves give grandeur and and uh, and artistry to Jewish life. They they create a a universe of symbolic gestures that allows us to to express our Jewishness to, in the physical world. But they all have ideas that uh, that rest just beneath the surface. And the point of the ritual is not merely to do it, but to embrace those ideas. That the point of of Shabbat observance is not just to keep Shabbos after all, it's to embrace the notion that, that God is the creator of the world. The, the point of Pesach observance is to embrace the idea that, that God is the source of liberation in the world. All of these ideas together are meant to create a, an ideational foundation upon which Jewish life rests. So in the end, to discuss whether you need the rituals or the, or the ideas that they, that animate them is, uh, it's a, a peculiar question to ask. It's like asking whether you need the house and the foundation. The house without the foundation is going to collapse. But the foundation without the house, who would want to live on a foundation without a house? In the end, you need both. And uh, that notion that this interplay between ritual and meaning is at the core of what it means to be an observant, thoughtful, mindful Jewish person, this lesson I, I find uh, just beneath the surface of page 135 in Tractate Shabbat. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.